the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Welcome in. It's Election Day. (laughs) Crazy, isn't it? A lot of anticipation like Heinz 57 catch up to get here. Come on, you damn ketchup. Out of the bottle or I'll knife you. Not a ketchup fan. Too much sugar for me. I know you're saying that's the weirdest start of the show in a long time, Rob. Um, let's see here. Pollsters don't want to get into. What I want to throw down to start this hour is August and no, no, no. September and October were really brutal months. But August was really a hot month on the stock market. So if you look, take a look at just the two months of August, of September and October, you're like, man, I'm depressed. If you take a look at August, throw it in there, you're like, well, that's kind of a push. If you take a look from March to August, you're like, wow, we did great. Give me a little leeway on the timing of those numbers, but you get the idea. It's all about perspective. John Barth wrote a book called The Floating Opera. And it, it was a beautiful book, I think written in the 50s or 60s. And it, it talked about how we become aware of society. Really for the first time as a country, we started understanding nuclear. We started understanding more science. We started seeing things on TV. News started getting disseminated faster. But John Barth's philosophy on The Floating Opera was something along the lines of Um, depending on where you are, you'll hear an opera. Let's say it's a globe of people floating in the sky. Some of them are at heights of a mile. Some of them are uh, a a quarter of a mile to your left. Some of them are two miles behind you. Some of them are two miles in front of you. You would hear that opera based on where you are differently. And I think a little bit of that's going on right now with how you look at stock markets. Do you look at the last two days? We're rallying. Do you look at the last two months, we're going down. Do you look at the last three months? Eh, it's kind of sideways. Um, you have to have some type of long-term perspective and you'll hear the opera and it'll be beautiful, but you got to be patient. Right now you may hear politicians screaming really close to you. Um, whereas in the background you can see capitalism kind of works through all sorts of presidents. I was explaining, or I was talking, and I shouldn't say explaining because that makes it sound like I was teaching, I was giving a teaching moment to my neighbor. I said, I lived on the East Coast when Reagan got elected. Do you know what America thought of Reagan? And I think there's some of that going on with Californians think about Trump, but the East Coasters versus Reagan. We thought he was a cowboy who had a monkey on a TV show and... We didn't really, we just saw him as a TV, almost like a soap opera TV actor. Like America didn't have a very favorable image of him. 
and we went through eight years of prosperity. We had Jimmy Carter before that, a peanut farmer, and we did okay. We didn't die. So the long-term outlook, the, polit- the political noise will quiet, hopefully, I think. We went through Clinton, who whatever you say in the end, or Monica, or whatever, uh, you could say that he was a Bubba. Do you remember when he was called, you know, uh, Bubba, the Bubba governor, Governor Bubba? Because uh, he was from Arkansas, and we we saw that as well. You're not from Massachusetts or New York, hoity-toity. You know, we, we get through George Bush Jr., who, when he was elected, he was like, I'm not going to be president. I'm going to be CEO. I'm going to elect the right people. Like, we had, we've done okay. And I think we'll get through this again. And again, I, I don't even want to say these words. We'll make America great again. Like, we'll get through this process. But when you go through the process, it's like watching sausage made. You don't want to do it. U.S. factory orders rose solidly. Outlook is uncertain, though. Dow is up 600 points. I almost think that's too much. Like, we're poised for a letdown, but I'm not going to worry about the next two or three days. Last year, I know a person who panicked in the middle of the night because uh, the markets tanked after Trump basically, or after Hillary Clinton conceded four years ago, world markets tank. They're down four, five, six, seven percent. It looked like, oh no. And by 10 o'clock the next morning, he had regretted taking any action because things had already stabilized like 30 minutes into the trading session. But watching the sausage made make, makes you crazy. California is a very expensive ballot measure being backed by Uber and Lyft. I hate politics at times. U.S. could split up. Jeff Gunlock is out there saying he's great. He's one of those billionaires who thinks the way we've laid out our country is problematic. Could America lose faith in democracy? People are strongly committed to the concept of democracy, and yet China has made massive growth and way better infrastructure under totalitarianism. Yeah, <laughs> okay, but I, I don't know. Gunlock, it feels a little too extreme, but is it? Is it? That's one of the favorite things I do with my kids. I'm like, um, are you going to eat all your broccoli tonight, or am I going to kill you? Am I? Am I? Am I? <laughs> I should strike that one because you should never murder a child because they don't eat broccoli. But that's kind of like the video of don't shake the baby. That should be obvious. But sometimes people shake babies. Um, there's a big story here, and I would do this. It just feels like you're going to get nothing out of it. So I'll hit on it. Then I'm going to pass. I'll think about it during commercial break. Maybe I'll come back to it. China put the brakes on Ant Group's $35 billion share sale. Now, what's interesting about this is Ant Group's, this is going to be the biggest IPO of all time. It's going to be bigger than Saudi Aramco. It's going to be bigger than Alibaba. It's going to be bigger than the Agriculture Bank of China, SoftBank, Visa, GM, bigger than them all. Um, So China said, no, 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 you're not going public because we see something in the regulatory environment that could be major issues that lead to your company, Ant Group, no longer complying with requirements of listing and information disclosure. 
I don't know what's all going on here. I don't know how political it is. I don't know how much of it is retaliation towards Trump or what have you for the Trump-China negotiations that kind of soured hard. But China's regulators warned that Jack Ma's firm faces increased scrutiny and will be subject to the same restrictions on capital and leverage as banks. Um, what's interesting about this, China, the ant group, came out and apologized. Talking about different cultures. If that happened in the United States, our, the CEO would be like, the government's trying to screw the man and hold the people down and stop this IPO from happening. But they play a different game in China. And again, that goes back to Jeff Gunlock saying, hey, they're totalitarianism and they're not exactly nice there, people, but they got better roads, better infrastructure and a better economy than we do right now. A lot of questions this time of year, right? Anyhow, um, not a lot to talk about economically today. It's kind of all elections all the time. So hopefully it's treating you well. Stocks have extended a big rebound today. Buy the dip mindset is back. Longer dated treasuries are rising. There's some optimism. Maybe the volatility will slow down. I'm not quite sure how to say that. But there seems to be that shift in the last two days to economic optimism. <laughs> God, this is fun. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and Your Money. I'm Rob Black. Four things need to be put to bed. The election. We need to put to bed the amount of people getting diagnosed with COVID and potentially dying from COVID. We do that through a vaccine, which is the third thing that needs to be put to bed. And we need stimulus. I'm not saying today we, we finish the election. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder for CFP Chad Burton with the hanging chads from back in the early 2000s election. Al Gore. We've had some contested elections, have we not, as a nation? But Chad Burton was, he's like, oh, oh, oh I love that my dad named me Chad. <laughs> when that was going on, I've known Chad that long. Him and I love and hate each other. It's a great relationship. Um, I like talking about wealth accumulation. He likes talking about wealth preservation. He does the show here from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. on AM 1220 Um, And we don't always agree. And I think that's one of the healthiest things that I could teach you about investing and maybe about politics, and maybe about bringing up your children. You don't always have to agree and compromise isn't always the best thing in the world. I haven't done this in a few years, but 20 years ago, it was pretty popular for investment groups to get together. And I got two quick investment group stories. I love them, first and foremost. Anytime someone gets together on a Wednesday night with a couple bottles of wine, maybe some cheese, talk stocks, talk investing, as a group, they all throw in $100 a month and they all go to Robin Hood and buy whatever stock they determine to be the, their winner of the month. I love that kind of stuff. I once gave a speech up in Santa Rosa and this old bat, it was a, a ladies group. <laughs> it's not politically correct. We have called her an old bat, but she was the oldest lady out of all the ladies. 
and I'm affectionately calling her back because, well, she reminded me of Batwoman. <laughs> okay, I'm exaggerating now, but you get the idea. She was a mess. Um, the ladies wanted to talk about Apple and, you know, investing in companies like Yahoo. Yahoo? 20 years ago, trust me. Um, they wanted to talk about investing in tech companies because they're in Santa Rosa and, you know, they drink wine together and they don't really go to the big city. And uh, the old lady like, now, I don't want to buy a tech company. I Now. She was the crankiest, loudest voice I ever heard. And I loved it because it made the other ladies double down on their conviction or open open up the floor to new conversations. I love that investing story. It's okay to have a doubting Thomas. It's okay to have someone who doesn't sign on. It's okay. It's not going to kill you. Um, so what I said, you know, Chad and I don't always get along. It's true and it's great. Um, as long as you're okay handling that. Extrapolating a little bit more, there was an investment club in San Francisco. I was kind of a big deal in San Francisco. Um, I hit San Francisco at the perfect time. It was 2000. Tech stocks were booming, getting ready to bust. Um, there was a lot of wealth being generated by the millennials of the day, the 20-somethings, who are now all 45. But they were getting out of college, getting six-figure jobs. They were wearing incredibly expensive clothes, lingerie, cigars, bottles of wine, restaurants. It was a renaissance in San Francisco. It was really something to see. So one group of these young people invited me to their condo and they're doing an investment group. And um, it was cool because there's like five good looking men and five good looking women and they're young and they care about money and investing. And I was like, I'll show up for a bottle of wine, right? Um, I learned that they weren't really an investment group, that they duped me. The guy was just a big fan and he knew that I would do it. That's kind of funny, right? I am kind of, this is, that is one of my favorite movies of all time. In large part because Ron Burgundy is a real person in my mind. I've worked with Ron Burgundy's. Um, I love TV. I love TV. It's so different than radio. I love radio. I love the radio audience enormously uh, because it takes a dedication to sit here for 10 hours a week. And I enjoy tenacity and loyalty and vigor as traits. Those are traits that I respect. So big tech's doing great today. Okay. We're not going to get it's election day. I don't know about you, but it kind of reminds me of March Madness, which I guess we're not going to do this year. What's that going to look like? College basketball in a tournament? Um, I've heard that they're not going to let the kids travel from like as much or something like that. And then the idea of doing it in one location is less attractive. I don't know. Um, but again, that tells you we're not open yet. And even when we do get a vaccine, we're not going to be open really, truly for probably six months. And then six months after that, that's when corporate earnings start to heal. Uber and Lyft are rallying on that Prop 22. There's more room for those stocks in the coming days, in the coming weeks, because they faced a year of, well, they could be forced to pay all these fees. They could be forced to do this, and it's not even looking close. I don't own Uber or Lyft, but I see how politics is directly affecting them positive and negative 
Um, ride sharing and marijuana are a lot of the ballot initiatives out there today. Marijuana stocks have been doing really, really well lately. They did really, really well two and a half years ago going into the elections two years ago. And uh, two years ago, Canada said, hey, we're making marijuana legal. Woo! So I don't have to move to Colorado to, to enjoy my legal marijuana fix. Then California's getting there. Then Canada's getting there. Like, I get it. I get it. We're opening up. And the stocks did great. But the year after that, there was kind of a, kind of a, you ate two pizzas while you were high hangover. Oh, you're going to be hurting tomorrow. Um, there was a hangover from the enthusiasm on marijuana stocks. And it turns out that even as more states and more countries legalize it, yes, it's going to help volume, volume, volume. But the financials, until it's federal, probably aren't going to be very, very solid. I'm making a lot of statements there, and it's way too tough to analyze the marijuana industry that quickly. There's going to be winners and losers, and the whole sector went up, and the whole sector didn't shouldn't have gone up, is what we learned. Be careful on initiatives, okay? I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money investing, and more. Find me online at newfocusfinancial.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. One of the things that I like about what's happening right now is people are having tougher conversations or maybe more mature conversations. The politics are heating it up, but I think people are having a little bit more substantial conversations due to COVID and political scenario than say who's going to win the Super Bowl. A lot of people are losing interest in sports. It appears according to the television ratings um, because maybe more pressing things are on their mind, the health of their family and the wealth of their family. Middle-class built the United States, in my opinion, and yet they have almost no say in the elections. It feels like if they don't get out and vote, I'm stoked by voter turnout whether it be Republican or Democrat, I'm stoked. Um, we should care as a country. And every state is a little bit different, so I can't speak for the other states. Uh, I hate the prop system in the United States, in California. But I think voters should get out and vote. So the question is, in four years, will people get out and vote on the same level? Or is it just the perfect storm right now to get people to care? There's going to be a lot of disinformation. Um, COVID resurgence in Europe has me concerned about our stock market. Notice I didn't say Biden or Trump. Notice I didn't say U.S. COVID cases, but the COVID cases in Europe. Now, here's a weird, odd little thing. And I was listening to a podcast where a billionaire was talking, and he goes, the COVID resurgence in Europe will be good for the United States in the short term. I'm like, oh, where is he going with this? He's like, if they put business restrictions on where they can't leave their home, they can't fly, they can't go country to country, then the United States, who is still relatively open in many of the markets of the United States, in many of the states of the United States, in certain portions of the United States that were relatively open, we could steal business. It was his premise. But he said, in the long term, my concern is that the elevation of the number of, of diagnoses 
leads to an elevation in the number of hospitalizations or deaths, which leads to we need to protect the herd and tell people to stay in so we can get those initial diagnoses down um, and we can stop spreading. Um, this is a scary time for a lot of people. And for me, the notion of Europe shutting down mathematically should lead to the United States shutting down because we're a little bit behind them in the surges, kind of like we were a little bit behind Italy and Spain back in March. But their positive cases testing went up. Ours went up. Um, and they're, they're dealing with the fallout of it now. And what I'm worried about or concerned about is any more shutdowns. Um, am I worried about rampant death? Probably. That's not good. But I think the economic shutdown is the um, the Grinch potentially here. But then again, I, I'm like, there's an Xbox coming out. People are going to buy it. If they have money, they're going to buy it. If they have money, which brings us to stimulus. Whoever wins the election in theory today, the next phase as the, the results kind of slow down a little bit, as the ripple effect starts to, to be a little bit more calm, will be focused on stimulus. And I would say Republican Senate with Democrat House of Representatives and Democrat president, I get the feeling Mitch McConnell is going to be, be not, how shall we say, Blank check here, guys. Go out and spend it. But he's going to be very, oh, we got to protect the deficit now. Whereas he's probably more of a deficit hawk than um, the White House or the House of Representatives right now. So that would be a concern is that we underwhelm in our next level of stimulus. But again, I'm thinking a little bit past that at this point. Again, that might be a $500 billion stimulus or $4 trillion. <laughs> That's a pretty big swing, right? Oh, boy. Uh, final push. I kind of like it. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uber and Lyft rally today as analysts say California's Prop 22 is likely to win. I don't have a lot of feelings on Prop 22. Um, it's. I think we all have so much political capital in our head, and I don't want to spend mine on... Prop 22, ride-sharing companies have basically spent $200 million to support Prop 22. They want their employee, they, whoops, don't say that. They want their contractors to drive around for them and not really get a lot of healthcare access and not really get a lot of support with uh, situations like if they get in an accident and, and can't work. They want people to help them with their business, but they don't want to invest in the people per se. And again, the counter argument is, well, you're letting a housewife in, in uh, Fremont, California, decide that she drops her kids off at school and she can drive around, you know, four or five trips, get an extra 50 bucks in her pocket, help her family meet financial goals. I get it. Like I said, I don't have a lot invested mentally in this one, but I do know that this is the biggest prop figure since the 154 million spent in 2008 which was related to gambling on American Indian reservations. <laughs> now you're just saying California spends a lot of money on Indian reservation gambling and, and ride sharing companies. Yes, that's us. Um, 
the group that wanted to defeat Prop 22 wasn't as well funded. So it kind of concerns me a little bit. But Uber and Lyft should get a bit of a benefit from this is what I'm trying to get at. Long-winded. I'm sorry. But it's been a year since we've heard about Prop 22. And we're like, wait, wait, what's happening? The state of California wants to penalize, not penalize these companies, but take a lot of their incentive away, take a lot of their profit away. Um, essentially, if you're a Lyft or Uber driver, you're a low-cost labor to somebody like Lyft or Uber um, because they're not paying all the full benefits of, that they would pay to you as an employee. The state of California wants to be an employee so that you know, the state doesn't have to give you the benefits in case you get a car accident, can't work, and you get disability. Uh, I get it. I get it. But it does, in my opinion, show me that a lot of this is bought and paid for. Um, and that's disconcerting, right? And there's nothing we can do about it. We keep talking about changing this when we can't. AMC said yesterday they seek more cash. It's confirmed its third quarter loss. AMC, big movie theater company. Man, oh man, when I was a kid, I wanted nothing to do but go see movies. The big screen was magic, right? Seeing AT on the big screen, you felt like childhood's really worth this. This is awesome. Raiders of the Lost Ark. To a much lesser extent, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> to even lesser extent, Saw, Saw 1, Saw 2, Saw 3, Saw 4, Saw 5. Uh, but the theater used to be magical, and now I go, I got a big TV. And it's actually one of the areas where I'll splurge a little bit, because I'd, I'd much rather watch a movie at home than at a movie theater. At this point in my life, it's parking, and then your car gets dinged, and then like, you know, there's punks in the parking lot, and they're acting up, and you're like, oh, I hope my kids don't end up like, I don't like going out, I stress. But AMC Entertainment is saying they need cash again, and they may issue shares. Okay, I refer to that as a civil war, and on a day like today when we're going to the polls, and voter intimidation, and how angry Republicans are at Democrats. In Marin County, the Democrats got super angry at Trump supporters uh, with flags in their truck. And, like, they came to blows. And I'm like, this is a civil war. It's not like uh, brother versus brother, north versus south. But it's kind of like that. I look at civil wars happening also in stocks at times. Um, I want nothing to do with investing in AMC. They got problems. They got cash flow problems. They got debt problems. They've got when do they open up to blockbuster problems. They got when do blockbusters come out problems. There's too much drama there. And in investing, I'd rather not get into the drama. Um, so I get people saying, wow, I can make a lot of money because look how cheap the stock is. It's $2.39. If it just goes to $4, I've almost doubled my money. And you look at a $400 stock and you're like, it'd have to go to 800 for me to almost double my money. There's no difference. There's no difference. It's just as easy for a $400 company to go to 800 as it is a $4 to go to eight. But psychologically, we're not mostly wired that way. Oh, American put in their house in order, huh? 800-516-1220 um, to get your calls on the air. So I don't like civil wars. I'm giving you a lot of lessons today. I like... Uh, Companies that have less drama. I like companies that have good leadership. I think that should help you win in the long run. 
one of the things that I'm having real difficulty valuing is what value would a vaccine have to a company like a Pfizer? Pfizer fabricates pharmaceuticals. That's a lot of... Um, they've got a pivotal trial for COVID-19. Cantor Fitzgerald said they see three possibilities for the stock, which was up about 1% yesterday on how the vaccine news could, could change the shares. They're seeing a $9 swing in the price of the stock. They're not seeing like, oh, it'll double from here. They're seeing a $9 swing. If the, if the vaccine succeeds, they think instantly five more dollars. That's kind of interesting to me. Um, if they flops, that would hurt the stock by about $4 a share. So now go take a look at Pfizer and see how you think about that's the vaccine positive and negative role. Check me out at newfocusfinancial.com. There's a lot of good downloadables and articles on the elections. Check it out at newfocusfinancial.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So, frame things. Sometimes I'm clearly not going to get the right messaging. I'm doing a show that kind of makes me look like a Buddha on the mountain. But sometimes... I'm not going to say the right thing when you pass by on a hike. Just know that going in, okay? Um, I'm a little bit caught up in losing focus right now on what we typically talk about. This time last year, pre-COVID, late in election season, but or maybe the election season was just getting started. We were probably talking about how Americans aren't saving enough for retirement. You know, there's some statistics out there about how much Americans have saved during the uh, pandemic. And that's good news and bad news. And when I see something like that, it it makes me want to explain a little bit where I'm coming from to see if we're on the same page. Americans have saved an extra $1.3 trillion since the pandemic. What to do with it? What will happen to it? Now, on one hand, I'm like, yay, good job, Americans. You're saving. Woo! On another side, I'm like, uh, you need to go help the economy. Because businesses are shutting down. Well, we can't help the economy. We can't go to those businesses. Those are the ones that are shutting down. Um. The coronavirus has kept Americans home and pushed the federal government to distribute almost a trillion dollars in income support. And Americans have saved an extra $1.3 trillion. I don't think there's a complete correlation there. But I have heard someone that I work with say, if we get another stimulus check, can you help me invest? I'm like, I think it's meant to like tie you over, but sure. Um, and I get it. That $1.3 trillion. We're saving, I'm happy. We're not spending it, I'm bitter. That brings me to, at some point in time, we will either invest it or spend it. It won't sit in cash earning 0%, not for long. Sometimes people go to cash. Sometimes people save in cash type of investments, like a bank account. Cash equivalent, as some people would call it. 
But one thing I do know is that A, we don't have enough money saved for retirement, and B, we are a consumer nation. And that money will get be put to work. So I would say that there's $1.3 trillion of stimulus, whether it's buying stocks or consuming goods. I think that's sitting right there waiting for us. And I think the United States government will do another trillion dollar package. I'm hoping because to me, one of my big concerns right now is unemployment is stubbornly high. It will not be a V-shaped recovery in employment numbers. Some businesses shut down. Some people will forevermore say, you know, hey, I can get by with 10 staff versus 15. There will be some ramifications from the shutdown that linger. I hope the next level of stimulus is just a, a jumbo infrastructure plan, whether it be get us to the moon, build rockets or build roads or build faster internet, build something, show that America is great, make the best hospitals in the world again, build something. Because when you build something, you put real people to work. And it's not just the construction people. It's not just the commodities people, the steel and the uh, copper people. But if you build a bridge, you eventually put workers in city planning, you know, oh, we got to check on the bridge. And if you build an office building or a hospital, you put nurses and doctors in them. Like the economic impact is pretty cool on infrastructure projects. Um, so Americans have cut their consumption dramatically. Part of what's happened is that higher income people who are most likely to keep their jobs while working at home are also the people most likely to slash their spending on virus sensitive categories like dinners out, trips to the dentist. They were effectively forced to save because it stopped being safe to go out. Okay. There's a lot of money on the sidelines and there's a lot of mentality that stay home save lives i am i forever damaged to go into a movie theater i don't i think so <laughs> i don't know if i ever want to go to a movie theater again uh, or at least i'm thinking that way and that's damaging on on spending let's talk about rainy day funds i believe in rainy day funds and it's really a tough concept when you're younger but it's something you need to teach your kids is that they should have two to six months of emergency money in case they lose a job during a pandemic. I know you're saying that's a crazy example. I know it was before last year, right? Um, the surge in savings explains why CARES Act money and the Federal Reserve's lending programs haven't led to higher consumer prices. So when we get trillions of dollars thrown into our economy and super low cost of money, it should lead to inflation if we use that cheap money and free stimulus money and spend it. But we're not necessarily spending it. We're saving more. So inflation's not there. So here's a fear, and it's a small one, but it's, it's a fear, that when we do unlock that $1.3 trillion in, in savings, and when we do get our next round of stimulus, depending on how much goes to the consumer versus how much goes to tax credits versus how much goes to the states, we, we could see a spike in inflation as we start unlocking our wallets, buying consumer goods that lead to higher consumer prices due to scarcity issues, supply and demand. Um, it's fascinating, right? It's kind of a teeter-totter of there's no right answers or it's a teeter-totter from hell. So it spins left and right and goes up and down. And like, 
you don't necessarily feel a lot of um, consistency with it right now. Like we should be seeing inflation, but we're not. But we could when the purses start opening back up. Hmm. It's election day. I'd sing a song, but I don't think there's a lot of rockabilly songs or I don't know. Facebook's up. Amazon's up. Microsoft's up. Industrials are up. Consumer discretionary is up. A lot of up. You see what I'm saying? The last two months, we've taken a lot of steam out of the, lot, out of the market, which is good in case things boil over. But leaves a lot of questions. You can find me online at Rob Black's show or newfocusfinancial.com.